So, is, is this the right button? Uh, no, it's it's that one. What, what this one? Uh, nope, not that one. Uh, what about this big red one? You know the one that says do not press? Nope. Oh, I've pressed it. Oh. Oops. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cosmic Podcast, Seeing Stars. I'm Chris Steers and he is... Kelvin Andrews. Now, I think we're all in agreement that we keep you away from the buttons from now on. Mankind is safer with me away from buttons, yes. Now, today we are joined by two other guest presenters today. We have Chelsea Yates in the studio. Hello. And we have Isaac Brady. Hello. So, we are basically going to be talking all things Night Sky in this podcast. So, if you didn't listen to episode one, where have you been? What a team. It's been on iTunes for the past month. You can now listen to us on your Xbox One as well. So just download the podcasted app on there and you can listen to us through your TV while you're gaming. You've been dying to say that, haven't you? All I, night, I, yeah. I have been dying to say you that. You can listen to us on Xbox. Xbox One. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool, it's cool yeah, though. It, 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 it is cool, though, you've got to admit. Yeah, I've got to say, I was impressed when he told me. Anyway, here's what's coming up in this month's podcast. We have What's Up in the Night Sky this month. Chris talks to Phil Young about astrophotography and light pollution. Chelsea brings you this month's space news and, of course, all-round cosmic madness in the form of ziggyology. Now, what would you say if I said Milky Way? Um, normally chocolate, me being the layman. Well, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Chocolate bar, yeah. which I have in my hand for later. So, just, uh, just That's like... not a Milky Way, Chris. Oh, well, it's a galaxy ripple, but they didn't have any Milky Ways. So. <laughs> it's a good job it's radio. We would have failed immediately yeah. for that. Well, I'll, I'll save that for later. Sadly, I'm not talking chocolate, but we are talking about the Milky Way our home galaxy you can actually see this naked eye it's like a crack across the night sky it's a great name for it yeah milky way but sadly though you can't actually see it naked eye well here in stoke anyway Uh, light pollution is a massive issue here in the uk and it is a shame that we can't see a lot of our night sky because of it Uh, if you're in the right location though you can see things like the milky way the andromeda galaxy and other deep sky objects especially during the summer months as well there's some great ones and the thing is, it's an easy problem to fix. It's not a nature thing. It's a, it's a thing we've put there, mankind. How can we actually solve the problem then? You can actually get things like things that aim your porch light down because when you turn on a light, you've probably noticed outside, it shines upwards as well as downwards. Yeah. We can actually get things like a cover, you know, you can put over the light. Uh, or you could turn off the lights or set it to a timer so you save energy. Oh, so there's no real reason for any lights to be pointing up because all they're doing is lighting the streets or the, yeah, or the paths so below. Yeah. You want to aim it downwards, so then that way it's not lighting upwards. And That's there's something I never thought. There of. are law- there are laws in some countries that forbid street lamps going up and not having the proper protection. Honestly, there is an explanation for our geekiness because we're going to have a go at doing some in-studio science. Are you ready for this? Yes, indeed.
I mean, we're on about you pressing the buttons, but I'm a bit worried about me pressing the buttons now, <laughs> Calvin. Uh, that sounds like a, a massive demolition job, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> like we've just exploded the studio. Anyway, dim the lights. It's gone dark, so I want you to shine that torch upwards, Calvin. Okay, so as you can see, it's projecting up, but it's lighting everything around you. Watch what happens when I put this on top. So if you could just describe what I'm doing. Okay, um, Chris has now got a book, and he's now put it over the top of the beam of the torch, and all of a sudden, everything changes, because it's been kept and contained into one area. It's quite impressive. You could do this at home, by the way. Just get a torch, any torch, a smartphone torch, face it upwards, and then put something like a book on top, and you can see the effect that it's still lighting the area, but it's not lighting up on the ceiling, for example. Yeah, and it uh, can affect light pollution properly if we had all the lights pointing down. We're going to move on now because we have got lots to squeeze in. As we said earlier on, we've got Phil Young. Uh, now, though, we're going to have a look at what's up in this month's night sky. So this month, we are discussing planets yet again. We have three that make an appearance this month. Three planets, Kelvin. Ooh. So, yes, very exciting. Venus, Jupiter and Saturn all decide to grace us with their presence this month. Firstly... Venus. Uh, now we can actually see this on the western horizon before it even gets dark. All you have to do is look towards where the sun is setting. So if you look at where the sun set, you will actually see appears to be a very bright star. Okay. It flashes quite a bit. Uh, that's not a star you're looking at. It's actually the third brightest object in our skies. It's only surpassed by the sun and the moon. So that's Venus that's in the Venus daytime. In the daytime. You can that's see it before the sun. That's information to me. That's as amazing. The, as the sun's setting at twilight, you can actually mm. see it, uh, which is quite amazing. Now, Venus is pretty grey and boring. It's not a nice planet to look at. It's literally just cloud. You can't see the surface. And it's so thick, actually, if you were standing on Venus, uh, you would be crushed by the air pressure. I'll give it a miss then this month. Mm. Yeah. I'll get a special I'll, suit that will yeah. protect me. It's weird because it's like Earth's evil twin kind of thing. Oh. You know, like they say you have an evil twin. Um, basically, Earth is the good the good twin, you know, where life lives. Venus is the not-so-good twin, and they're the same, roughly about the same size as well. Yeah. Um, it's full of greenhouse gases and stuff. It's not a nice place to live. Now, I know this is a particular favourite of yours, Saturn, Kelvin. Oh, my favourite, yes. Now, talk to us about Saturn. What is Saturn? Well, Saturn um, is that wonderful uh, second largest planet in our solar system with the big rings, which is wonderful. The ring planet decides um, it wants in on the action and starts to show its face around 9.30pm. So yeah, the ring planet is about at 9.30pm. It's decided, oh, Jupiter was around last month, Venus is around this month now, I'm going to show my face as well. So yeah, you can actually check out Saturn on the eastern horizon. So just look on the eastern horizon. Uh, that's the horizon where the sun didn't set. Uh, and you can actually look at it rise. It's like a yellowish, creamyish star. doesn't twinkle. If you, looked, if you looked at that in a telescope, you would see its rings, which is quite something. Uh-huh. It's, it's just un- probably the most cosmic spectacular thing in our solar system I mean as a, it, really? as a kid what was everyone's favourite planet to look at Saturn for me anyway Saturn I don't really know my planets if I'm going to be honest you, you know, what not I'd not in year Mars. one they, Mars, Mars okay Mars. I'm no Mars. longer the non-expert in the room <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. trust me science I failed <laughs> oh Isaac uh, I'm not going to go for the immature option I'm going to say Pluto Pluto even not, though not a planet. I, I know it's not now but when I was a child, it was. 
Okay. I'll, okay. I'll let you off with that. And I, I, I like Pluto. Pluto is like, have you ever seen Futurama? Uh-huh. Where they have, Pluto is where they stick all the penguins because all the greenhouse gases have mounted yeah. the North and South Pole. So they just stick the penguins on Pluto. From what I know about Pluto, I always thought it was the lonely planet. I always thought it was the dog. The dog. Oh, well, because of oh. Disney. Yes, because of uh, Disney, you know, yeah. Pluto. The, and who didn't love Pluto the dog? I loved him. I preferred Goofy. Okay. I, right, okay. I, I, I don't watch Disney, so... Of course uh, you did. Oh. You'd be surprised, it's not Kelvin. good enough. You'd be surprised. <laughs> anyway, Saturn is that ring planet that everyone loves to see because it's got the rings, which are like ice, essentially floating around. And then you can see its moon, um, which is a bit weird because its moon, Titan, is very similar to Earth, but it doesn't have a water cycle. It has a fart cycle. That's what I call it. A fart cycle. It's quite descriptive. Because they have liquid methane, gas methane, and solid methane in the form of ice. Blimey! So that's really weird, isn't it? You, you kind of don't, you don't expect you don't expect that from a planet, and the f- the fact that your farts are literally powering this moon. And finally, Jupiter we touched upon last time round. Yes, which is that big, massive planet you can see. It's a beast of a planet, uh, which, by the way, is at opposition this month. So, and mm, I will what gi- does that mean? I will give you the geeky times at precisely one twenty-eight in the morning on Wednesday, the 9th of May. Jupiter will exactly be in line with planet Earth. In a nutshell, it's at its closest point. If you were to draw a line from the Sun to Earth, it would then carry on to Jupiter. They're in an exact line. Has no effect. It's not going to be the end of the world. It happens every year, by the way. You just forget what you read on social media. Um, but it is the best time you can see the planet. So that's it, probably the best bit of useless information I've ever heard. It is, and the fact that I I did it, you know, to the time. So yeah, you can check that out. Um, and basically, all it means is Jupiter will rise when the sun sets, and it will set when the sun rises. Rises. There we are. See. You know, you're no longer the layman, are you? I'm not. I feel like some kind of super astronomer dude. I'm learning something every single time we do this show. It's see, wonderful. see, and you'll be educating me later in ziggyology. So, well, if you talk about Bowie, yeah, all night long, <laughs> mate, all night long. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be catching up with Phil Young up next. Now, Phil is an astrophotographer. He is well known for taking pictures of our night sky, and he's going to talk to you about how you can do that with just a standard DSLR camera. His photos, by the way, you can check out. All you have to do is just look at our podcast thumbnail image, the picture there he took with his own camera. That's incredible. Which I think blew your mind, didn't it, Chelsea? It it blew my mind, literally. I thought it was edited, but, like, not an actual star or whatever. It was crazy. Yeah, and he took that with his camera. So he's going to talk to you about that, and that's up next. You're listening to the Seeing Stars podcast. It's Chris Steers. I've got Phil Young on the line. I've also got a studio full of people. I've got Kelvin, Chelsea and Isaac. Everyone say hello. 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 Now, Phil, you are an astrophotographer. That's a pretty mega title, isn't it? What is an astrophotographer? Well, an astrophotographer is somebody actually images um, subjects in the night sky uh, and nightscapes and um, things that are done actually when the sun is set. It's a very rewarding type of photography, as obviously a lot of people don't actually go outside and do this sort of thing. But it's very rewarding when you do get some nice pictures of the planets and deep space objects and nightscapes by using uh, basically starlight and moonlight. And, you know, it can be you can get some really lovely images by simple equipment by just doing astrophotography. As we've said, astrophotography is the night sky. That's sort of the big difference between standard photography. So it's not literally just getting a camera out and taking a picture, is it? There's a bit of an art to it. 
there's a hell of an art to it, yeah. So normal photography is point and click. You can use light meters to tell you if you can be overexposed or underexposed. You can see your subjects to get get an idea of depth of field and what you want want within the image that you're taking. Night time, you've got none of this. Night time, you are literally trying to shoot something you cannot see with the naked eye. So it's uh, it's a bit of an art in its own right. Obviously, we're looking at things out there that are millions of light years away and that that's you know that that can't be easy to photograph and you really have a passion for it just to give people an idea of what you take pictures of what what sort of deep sky objects have you taken well as far as deep space objects um i take nebulae galaxies um nebulae especially i do get a lot of um pleasure in taking images of nebulae because within our own galaxies nebulae are star birth regions and it's where stars are being born and possibility obviously of where life could be existing or evolving now astrophotography can be done by anyone you just need a dslr camera and it is i say it's there's a bit of an art but even the most beginners of people can do things like star trails and i know that's something you're you've got a massive passion for as well you just go out to a different location every time and just place your camera wait about an hour and over time you see the rotation of the earth really don't you by all means i mean nightscape photography um in natural photography is as straightforward that anybody really with a dslr camera a sturdy tripod and a shutter release cable can do deep space objects is a specialist thing in its own way that you can use the telescopes as a lens uh, to, to your camera and there's a lot more involved in doing that with tracking and everything else but ordinary nightscape photography and star trails can be done with an ordinary dslr camera like i said decent tripod and a shutter release cable why is light pollution a big crucial issue for astrophotography well, unfortunately, light pollution uh, is a vein of any astrophotography, and it's also a vein of uh, any uh, anybody observing the night sky with the unaided eye, because it's taken away the beauty of the stars uh, and the depth of the stars and the beauty of stuff like the Milky Way, which you should be able to see with the unaided eye, is all being drawn out with light pollution. And there's really no need for it because it's completely invented by man. It's man-made. It's a man, very bad product, byproduct of man's way of trying to go forward in, in, in this life of trying to light streets and things like that. And we've got nothing against lighting streets or anything like that. We do need street lights. don't get me wrong. But it's a very badly designed street lighting which causes light pollution and sky glow light should be on the ground not up in the sky so what advice would you give to people out there that are maybe sitting at home they have an outdoor porch light on how would you suggest that they deal with that issue of keeping the light on the ground because i know there's various things you can purchase to help this can't you there is i mean first off let's, let's just put this right for start uh, first off the, the campaign for dark skies and um, campaign for all england is not against street lighting or lighting or outside lighting what it is against is the wasteful use of this lighting and a very badly designed lighting products that are being used um, on a mass mass scale within within uh, towns and cities and villages which causes the sky glow for those who've got porch lights um for instance first thing we would do we would say suggest put them on passive infrared 
They only come on when needed. They're not left on when they're not wanted. And if, if you've got a situation where you need extra lights to come up a pathway for when you come home from work and whatever, there's nothing against that. Put extra ones in. But just have them shining down, not up. Have, have the proper hooded, closed hooded round them that shines the light to the ground and not into the sky. We've, we've never been against not having street lights. If you've got particular areas that are dangerous, put extra street lights in. But take the other two fans and out that goes between A to B till you get to that spot. It is completely unwanted, completely waste of a carbon footprint, and it costs us a fortune. At the price of, I dare say, is that a generation soon will not be able to look up at the night sky and see the Milky Way. There's lots of places like this now in towns and villages. You know, your grandsons, granddaughters cannot look up the night sky and, and witness the Milky Way because being drowned out with light pollution. There's no need for it. Well, thank you for joining us today, Phil. You've given us a good talk on light pollution and also giving us an insight into how you take pictures of the night sky. Uh, people can check out your website, can't they? They can just pop your name into Google, Phil Young, New Forest Astrophotography, and you pop right up. Uh, in fact, the image that you look and when you download our podcast, Seeing Stars, the image, the thumbnail image, is actually a picture you took, isn't it? It is, actually. Yes, Chris, that's a deep space object called the Ryan Nebula. Um, that is, again, an area... Uh, in our galaxy, the Milky Way, where stars are being born at this particular time. It's about 1,600 light years away, and it's a massive star birth region. That was the astrophotographer Phil Young with his tips about how to take pictures with the night sky. That was pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, just the fact you can get a camera out and look at the night sky and literally do it with a DSLR camera. What a lovely fella Phil is as well. He is, and he's, oh. ve- he's very passionate about the light pollution subject. As you heard, if you want to take good pictures of the night sky, turn your lights out. It's the easiest way to do it. It is now time to hand over to Chelsea, who has got this month's Space News. Wait, Chelsea, we've got, we've, we've got a oh. fancy jingle. Rotten egg gas around planet Uranus. Rotten egg gas? Yes. Please elaborate, Chelsea. Okay, so it says, The planet Uranus has clouds made up of hydrogen sulphide, the gas that gives rotten eggs their unpleasant smell. So basically, when an egg is off, yes. it's a gas that gives off, and that's on this planet. Yeah, pretty much. So the one that, that is the joke of the planets, let's face it, we've all, we've all, we all know that joke. Come on, Isaac, I know you've been dying to say the joke all day. Uranus, it's funny. It's really it's kind of ironic that uh, Uranus gives off a, a really bad fart smell. Mm. Yeah, oh, it is. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's. You know what I mean? It's like the, the fact that scientists have discovered that as it's well. Like God's yeah. joke. Well, like isn't how? It? <laughs> I want to know how. To the thing that. is, though, I went. I went to the Caribbean on holiday. I'm going to bring that up because I went, and we went to uh, a mud bath. And around there, there was a volcano which was giving off this pretty, pretty much that rotten egg smell, and it was disgusting. It smelled like someone had the worst egg salad of my <laughs> goddamn. It's, was, like, <laughs> it's like a dog fart. You know when a dog farts, it smells like rotten eggs. I, it's essentially I think that. It it's mixed off. It's worse, and it feels like every time you burp, it will be like it smells like that. So you've actually experienced this, but on a smaller scale. Pretty much, I was on Uranus. 
Uranus. <laughs> so, why have you gone to outer space and we haven't? Oh, just sorry, like, what? Sorry. I mean, she didn't want to rub it in enough with the Caribbean, did she? Now she tells us she's gone to... <laughs> Drinking rum Makes and me coke. feel a little bit better that she went to the Caribbean and it wasn't all roses. It was roses. All, it was oh, a, no. sort of a big, yep. massive fart smell there as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great talking point, really, because the fact that, it, as you say, it's quite ironic that, that the joke of the planets, Uranus, which is actually pronounced Uranus... Is, is the one that smells of farts, which comes from, let's face it, everyone's bottom. <laughs> push on from this now. Yeah, hey. let's push on. <laughs> that was this month's Space News. <laughs> Thank you, Kelvin, for that. Why? What? But anyway, Because we can. Because we can. It's a, it's a <laughs> podcast. Anyway, it's now time for your bit, Ziggyology. Yes, Ziggyology. We did read a little bit from this book last time around. And we made this wonderful comparison between David Bowie and H.G. Wells because they were born in the same place, believe it or not. It's amazing. So the man who invented the notion of a visitor from outer space was born in Bromley and so was David Bowie. I thought that was pretty impressive. Shall we cue the music? Cue the music, yes. The year 1922. A mere 50 years before Ziggy Stardust and his approaching storm can be felt in the faint breeze of cosmic awe and sensory seduction fluttering the first pages of the 20th century, ruffling gusts from a distant yet now unstoppable gale. A brave new world obliviously prepares to welcome the Starman as it already has the motor car, the aeroplane, the radio, the brassiere and the knowledge to make an atom bomb. Music once the confines of the concert hall, the church and the alehouse can now be caged like a songbird within the concentric grooves of a phonograph record. The ways and means for Ziggy to spread this gospel may yet to be rudimentary, but are all safely in place. All but a few technological stepping stones remain between the crackle of a shellac 78 vibrating the horn of a wind-up gramophone to that of an under-the-covers transistor buzzing to Radio Luxembourg. The recording process had yet to be properly electrified in 1922 when on Friday the 27th of October the London Symphony Orchestra crammed into the central studios of the Columbia Gramophone Company in Petit France, Westminster. They were there to tape the first in a series of seven discs which when grouped together in the days before the long playing album would comprise a popular new orchestral suite. Conducting the session in Petit France that day was the sweet composer, a physically, sickly, intensely private 48-year-old girls' school teacher of Anglo-Baltic ancestry, with such a severely cropped haircut even his own family likened his appearance on the podium to that of a newly released convict. Yet this frail, shaven-headed spectre would fuse the strands of Beethoven and Wells as one sweeping the century clear for Ziggy by unleashing the melodic force of that which Pythagoras and Kepler had only ever dreamed about. The audible harmony of the spheres, the suite was the planets, the composer Gustav Holst.
Seeing Stars is a Capella production hosted by Chris Dears and Kelvin Andrews. Sound effects sourced from Kevin MacLeod and YouTube Audio Library. Astrophotography is by Phil Young. And this podcast is produced by Chris Dears and Kelvin Andrews. <laughs>